So we're in the middle of a series called Seek First, and it is built around Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And we've been trekking through it. We're gonna be going through it this entire fall so that we can really get the values of Jesus and understand what is kingdom culture? What are the values of the kingdom? This, this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, these terms he just talks about. What is that really? He begins to unpack that in a very simplistic way here in the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're gonna talk about prayer and fasting, all right? So I'm giving you a week heads up as you already started getting nervous when Billy said corporate fast. <laughs> I know it. You're like, oh no, just trust me. Fasting is a good thing. It's God's idea. Jesus affirmed it. Paul and Peter did it. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. It's actually a good thing. Is it necessarily like the most fun thing in the world? Not necessarily, but it's very rewarding, right? And a lot of things in life necessarily aren't fun if they're very rewarding, right? So it's actually a time for us to empty ourselves in a sense, say, God, I want you to take over again. I want you, I want things to be clear again with you. So let's just jump into today, Matthew Chapter six, verse five through eight. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So a significant passage on prayer, clear instructions from Jesus. Now let's just go over the word hypocrites for a moment because it's, that's a pretty derogatory term, right? No one likes to be called a hypocrite. Well, it has its origins in Greek theater, if you didn't know, describing a character who wore a mask. So in the New Testament, it normally describes a person who's not had a changed heart, truly repentant heart, and who is deceived. So hypocrites, Jesus uses it a few times here. Now, let's talk about the reward, right? Their reward is what? It's a momentary um, reward that is seen by people, meaning it's not eternal. It's just for a moment. It's like getting that high five, it's that moment after the touchdown, it's the yeah, and then it's over, right? It's, it's this momentary, exciting thing that you feel, but it's not, it's not lasting. And what Jesus is being clear on on the front end here is that God does not reward hypocrisy, but he certainly does punish it. There's not a neutral ground, right? There's not, it's not a gray area. So let's break down this whole idea of prayer and what he's talking about, right? And so um, he says, you know, he talks about um, people praying on the street corner, right? Referring to the public arena, putting yourself out there for others to hear, for people to hear your prayers. To take this literally, you could argue that Jesus is saying, never pray in public, ever, right? Which means everything we just did this morning, we're in trouble. You could take it literally, and some people do, right? Okay. Now, that would include corporate prayers in the church, going to a prayer vigil, praying at school, or anywhere for that matter where others can hear you. But I think by now you guys are catching on that Jesus is not always talking about the external. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the 
internal. It's less about the street corner or more about what's going on inside your heart, your intentions. So the question really is, are you praying? He's saying to the crowd and his disciples and the Pharisees that are there in this Sermon on the Mount, are you praying to be heard, to be praised, to be seen, to be affirmed by people? Or are you praying to God, knowing he alone has the power to answer that prayer, not the people? It's a redirecting of, are you praying for what purpose? Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, wait a second. Is Paul, the apostle Paul, contradicting Jesus? Is he like one-upping him? He's like, hey, I know what Jesus said in the front of the mouth, but hey, guys, pray everywhere. It's like, whoa. Now, if you were trying to find a weakness, uh, a spot, you could say, hey, you see that? The Bible contradicts itself. You see that? I found it. Just gotta dig a little deeper, right? So there seems to be a contradiction that Paul is saying, don't pray in public, and Jesus is saying that you should. Now, the Old Testament um, is clear that the offering of evening prayers was very commonplace, very custom among the Israelites. Just one example, remember Daniel, even the, uh, Daniel when he was in Babylon, prayed multiple times a day. Yet by the time Jesus began his earthly ministry, some Israelites, or at that time, some Israelites believed that you could only truly pray and worship God in Jerusalem, like in that literal city, in that place there. Now, in John 4, 20, another one of the gospels, we know the story, you've heard it maybe before, the woman at the well, right? Jesus walks up and he walks into this woman and she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You being a Jew, Jesus. You and the Jews have said, you can only really worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now that is a massive statement at the time. He goes on to say, you worship what you do not know, speaking of the woman, we worship what we know, speaking of the one true God. For salvation is from the Jews, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Truth, meaning the hour had come when Paul wrote this letter in First Timothy, when he wrote this letter, Jesus had already been crucified, he'd been buried, he'd been resurrected, he had ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit had descended and come the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was now distributed amongst people, the Spirit of God, and later on the scriptures it says, we are the temple of God, when you have the Spirit of God in you, like literally Every person in this room, if you've chosen to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of your sins, and you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not just your friend, not just your help guy, but your Savior, your Lord, you're submitting to him. He's saying, I send my spirit to you, the spirit of God, and seals you so that when you die, at the end, when your time here on earth is over, he says, hey, that's one of mine. He's sealed with the Holy Spirit seal, and no human can seal you with that. Only the Spirit of God can himself, and it's an invisible sealing, but you can see manifestations of it in the positive sense. 
you can see the joy. You can see the fruit of the Spirit on someone's life. You're like, hey, I'm pretty sure you're one of those people sealed with the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of you then, now you are the temple of God. Not the, but we collectively, where the Spirit of God dwells, he is there with us. So now I'm kind of taking you here. We're gonna get back to it. So, woman at the well, true worshipers. It's not just about Jerusalem. It's actually about anywhere the Spirit of God is living inside of a believer. That is where God is worshipped. So back to this idea of prayer, public and private. Notice that in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, a little later on, we'll get to that soon, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Talking about the rewards again. Are you laying up eternal rewards or the momentary, everyone gets to hear me pray? Ultimately, guys, the beginning of this passage here is, has more to do with why we pray rather than how we pray. Jesus is setting the stage for what he's about to say. He's saying, what I care about is your motives. That's what God cares about. That's why he talks about do not murder, do not have anger in your heart. It's, it's the motives. It's what's going on in here ultimately is gonna be produced here. So he wants to go after the root, after the heart issue in us the people. So let's continue on in Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer. And many of us know this. People who don't know Christ have probably heard it. It's known around the world. And people have different interpretations on how they view the Lord's Prayer. Yes, is this a very clear, direct model of prayer? Absolutely. I believe praying this is powerful. I also believe that Jesus is giving us a model. I do not believe that this is the only prayer Jesus ever prayed his entire life. I don't think you believe that either. But it is a model. But he's giving them a model. So let's just kind of break it down here briefly. Now remember, he's giving us this model in light of what he just said is, it's less about the environment and all that. It's more about your motives. Your motives are to be seen by people and to be admonished or look how cool he is or look how spiritual he is. And guys, let me just be clear. Don't just zoom out to 2,000 years ago. Go to present day. Can you think of anything? You don't have to say it out loud or raise your hand or point fingers. Can you think of anything that anyone does that is a Christian that they do in order to be seen by others? Yes, you can think of lots of them. I won't even begin to name them. The list is way too long. This is a simple example about prayer. You could take it in everything. You could take it into worship. You could take it into preaching and teaching, right? You could take it into writing books. You could take it into any sphere, any kind of spiritual realm. You could take it and you could say, man, that's good stuff, but I wonder, I wonder if I got to have coffee with him. What's like the real story there? What's the why behind the what, <laughs> right? Because you can actually tell in a person 
when their motives are honest and humble and clear. If you can't tell, just keep pressing in. The Lord will reveal it to you and give you discernment. But I'm telling you right now, we are not that dumb as people. We're actually fairly smart. And we can sniff out something when it smells off. Not as much as the dog, I know, but we got a pretty good sense of smell. And a pretty good sense of pride, too. You can smell pride, you know that? You can smell it, you can see it, you can hear it. When these guys are praying in the street corner, it's pride, right? It's like, oh God, glorious God, you are incredible. Thank you for your many blessings. In fact, Jesus later on shares this, this story, right, of the Pharisee praying, and then, this, and then like the sinner over here praying, and he's like, who, like, who's actually in the better heart, the right standing? It's like, oh, the sinner guy, because he's truly repentant and humble. The other guy's like, look at all my fancy words, right? I'm gonna say these words you don't understand. You're just gonna be confounded by my brilliance, right? It's the same thing, it bothers me, right? I'll just be honest. When preachers preach, at a level that everyone else is like, what? Yep. I don't know what you just said, but I'm impressed. That's impressive. What's impressive about it? Well, I don't know, but he said a lot of things. That's, right. what? That's not impressive. That's not helpful. Jesus was not doing that. You would not find anything. He spoke clearly. Now, the parables of the kingdom being revealed to them, but it was plain English or Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever, <laughs> right? He's talking about sheep and farming and goats and treasure. And it's like, oh, that makes sense to me. He wasn't talking about some abstract thing where people were like, whoa, where's he getting that from? We're, we're enamored with the like revelatory out of this world. It's like, hello, dude. Uh, where have you obeyed Jesus? That's really interesting. Uh, show me where you stopped sinning and start obeying. I'm not that impressed. So I'll just say clearly, <laughs> We're not impressed. I hope you're not impressed with me. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I, my goal is to help you get fired up to obey Jesus. So if I share stories, if I jump around, if I talk soft, if I talk loud, if I go deep or I stay there, wherever I'm going, my job is to motivate you just like my little 10-year-old baseball team to quit picking at the grass and focus on the game. Because we keep losing when kids are like this. I'm like, there's a batter up. You're like, oh, oh my gosh. You know what I'm saying? You're not 10. But sometimes people act 10. Quit acting 10. Unless you are 10. Okay. It's okay. Act your age. There you go. So let's get back to the Lord's Prayer here. We'll get off track there for a minute. Your kingdom come. We're just going to go through it, okay? I'm not going to divulge this. There are numerous books of people that really have studied this much more than I have, that have spent decades and years deeping into it. You want to, there are so many resources on this. I'm just going to give you the simplicity of it, okay? I believe the Lord's Prayer is a model for us, and the model is this. We need to first look up to God, and we pray, and we contend for things, and then we need to look here. It's a both and. Do you understand me? It's not... It's not just isolated, me and God, me and God, me and God. It's, oh, there's humanity, there's people. There's disciples to be made. There's people that are broken and hurting. Jesus got away with the Father, then what did he do? 
got with his disciples and got with the broken and the sinners and the hurting. And that's what he did. Father, and then get with the people. He prayed, Father, and he prayed for his people. I guarantee you he prayed for his disciples. Lord, help Peter. Oh, he's so nervous all the time. Help that Peter. Oh, Thomas, he keeps doubting everything I'm saying, but Lord, get to him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know he prayed for them, and he prayed for, Lord, that man we healed today, let him stay true to you, God. Let him not turn back. He's healed of blindness. Let him now see you for who you really are. You gotta know Jesus was praying, Father, give me the strength. Father, I surrender. I submit to my life to you. God, you are good, but now, God, there's people. I wanna, I wanna call them out because I know you can work it in them. Do you understand me? It's a both and. Prayer is both and. It's not just here and it's not just here. It's both and. That's why the cross is here and here. It is a vertical reality. The, 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 the literally, the symbolic picture for a Christian is that cross. Everything rests on that. Amen. If he didn't die, he couldn't have been buried. If he couldn't have been buried, he couldn't have been resurrected. He had to die. He had to die. And I believe he's giving us a model for prayer saying, it's the cross. <laughs> Father, <laughs> help me. And Father, forgive them. Even what Jesus did on the cross was the model of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a submission to God's purposes and plans. Are we submitted to him? You know, are we, are we including God? Are we, not just including, are we asking him, surrendering to him? God, what do you want me to do? Not I have four options. Which one, I have to do my pros and cons list with a piece of paper. And did you actually ask God about that? Or you just decide to use your man wisdom to figure it out? Because that's not that great. But God actually knows. You think one thing, your parents think one thing, but he thinks something else probably. And it's great when it all lines up. When grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, cousins and friends are all like, no, that is the Lord. And the Lord's like, yeah, that's me. He's like, that's awesome. That doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't. I would love for that to be the case. But it doesn't happen all the time. We have to prioritize going to the Father. It says on earth as in heaven, there's a desire. We pray, Lord, let it be here. One day, Lord, there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more wars. There's no more cheating. No more lying. No more abuse. No more of this. It's all gone. Lord, let it be. Oh, let there be honesty and joy and, and life here. Let it be healthy and whole. Let people, and let families be, 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 be alive. Let marriages be restored. Let husband and wife enjoy each other. Let, let workers honor their boss and get their work done with uh, with joy, let, let, let students not cheat and actually do the work. Let them honor professors. Let professors teach in such a way that is honoring and not weird and manipulative. Let governments serve the people, not oppress them. Like, these are the prayers. It's like, Lord, on earth as in heaven. Come on, Lord. That's why when you pray for anything, you can take on earth as in heaven, just start praying to that. Just calling out everything that isn't the way it should be and start calling it down and saying, Lord, let it be here. Send your breakthrough here. Send the conviction. And it usually starts with saying, God, convict X person. Just so you know, real change happens with the conviction by the Holy Spirit. Not you telling them they're wrong. But when the Spirit of God says you're wrong, and they listen, it's like, uh-oh. That's for life. Just so you know. And all the people have discipled and counseled and helped. It only goes so far. But when they get it from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, it's like, uh-oh. Now you're not going to get them off it. It's like a pit bull. They ain't like go. He says, give us, give us this day our daily bread. I love that. I love making bread. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about, though. 
But he did like bread. Jesus did like bread. Just saying. You remember when the Israelites were in the desert, in the wilderness, right? Got out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. Yes, look at us, three million plus people. We're free, you know? Then they're like, oh my gosh, it's hot and there's desert. Let's go back, you know? It's like, no, we're not going back. Most like, what are you guys doing, you crazy people? Let's go. And they wandered around and they doubted and they complained and argued. And sadly, not one of them made it to the promised land. That whole generation literally died off, including Moses. Because he was a leader of the complainers. <laughs> a whole generation of people, 40 years, wandering around. They couldn't make the promised land. Their next generation did. But even as they're complaining, what did God do? Provided for them. I mean, now if we're like, hey, that's not fair, God. They complain. You should give them nothing. Give them dirt to eat. You know, bake a rock or something, right? <laughs> but God is merciful. We talked about a few weeks ago, right? His mercy trumps his judgment. He gave them manna every day. They'd wake up. Boom, this miraculous bread that was probably delicious. I loved some. Came down and they eat it. But it was just enough for the day. So don't store it up, except on certain days. You can store up two days worth, but other than that, once a day. Because every day I want you to know, when you wake up, I want you to know I'm here. I see you. I love you. I'm providing for you. Even though you complained yesterday, I'm faithful today. Do you see the narrative? God is faithful and we are not. God is still merciful even though we whine and complain and make excuses. So we're saying, Lord, give us this daily debate. What that is, is Jesus is trying to say, we want to have a daily recognition that God is God and he's the one providing for us. It says, forgive us our debts. You know, in Luke 11, 4, it's, um, kind of a similar passage talking about the Lord's Prayer. It says, and, it says, and forgive us our sins. So sinners are debtors, in a sense, to God for their violation of his laws. So forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. It's a forgiveness element. Then he goes on, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For clarity, God does not tempt us. Somebody years ago shared that with me. I remember I was like, whoa, what? It's like the devil tempts us. Our sinful nature and the weirdness of this world tempts us, but God does not tempt us. In fact, James 1 says so. We are tested, though, and we are subjected to trials at times in our life, Absolutely. Like we are even exposed to Satan's assaults on us. Did you know that? Like Job had that happen to him. Peter had that happen to him. Others, Jesus had that happen to him. Out in the wilderness, fasted 40 days. We'll talk about this in a minute. But like exposed to the assault, to the lies, to the, to the manipulation, the thievery of Satan. He was tempted, not by God. But God did allow those trials to happen. But what's good about God is that um, he always gives us a way out, a way to endure. And just one thing on this. We're talking about if we pray, lead us not to temptation. I just want to be clear something here at Antioch that is probably vernacular that you may or may not have heard before. But years ago, I was sharing in a small group, and someone in our group, they had said, yeah, I fell into sin this week. And the guy leading, he said, no, you didn't. He's like, what? Like, were you there? He's like, wait a second. You know, he said, you didn't fall on anything. You chose him. I remember hearing that. And I was like, oh, that's it. And he's like, here's the difference. 
when you fall into sin, it's not your fault. No responsibility, no ownership. It's like there's a pothole. I'm sorry, I didn't see it. I just fell into it. When you choose sin, yeah, I saw that, and I went for it. It said don't touch, and I touched it. Church, let me tell you something. This day and age, what people lack is personal responsibility. What Christians lack, what the church is lacking right now on planet Earth, at least in America, from the best I know, is a recognition of I will take ownership of what I messed up on. Period. This is commonplace. You did it. You did it. Her fault. Government's fault. This person's fault. This politician's fault. That fault. Do you, are you ever doing this? My fault. Where's the my bad on the sports field? I missed that one. I will correct that. I will repent. I will change. Not, God, why'd you leave me on that path? What about this? Like, there are zero excuses in the Bible that God affirms. Zero. Zip. There is not one. You can search the entire scripture. You will not find one example of God saying, oh yeah, you know, that's a valid excuse. There isn't one. But we've adopted that in our language, haven't we? Stop it. Me too. I, you know, I drop my kids off at of school, and some days I'm late. I've gotten better. But I stop making excuses. There, are, there could be eight things that just went wrong. I drop them off. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. Now, temptation is I'm sorry. And do you know what happened? I mean, the dog, and then the, you know that little tornado that came by? You didn't see it, but it was, and then, and then this, and then the shower wouldn't work, and then my toothbrush. Somebody took my toothbrush. It's like, I don't really care to hear about all the excuses you have for why you didn't get the job done. So let me help us out here. You wanna be salty? Be an excuseless people. I'm serious. Like, stop the excuses. Stop the whining. Stop the complaining. Unless you want to be the people that don't inherit the promised land, the thing God has for you, by all means, complain all you want. We as a people have to take ownership of our sin. If not, it's a, it's a false sense of true followership of Christ. Like we, We've got to be a people that are sincere about it and they're willing to say, my bad, I repent, I change, and do it. And when we do that, you've got to see it. Like, it can't be, I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. And by the way, in the next 24 hours, I'm going to see an absolute change in your behavior, your words. If you're like, I'm sorry for keep cursing at work, then stop cursing. Yep. I, quit saying you're sorry about it. Because I don't think you care. Does it make any sense? As a people of God, we actually have to put some, that's what we're called hypocrites. You say this, but do this. Oh my gosh. I do not want the church, the people of God, called hypocrites anymore. And you can eradicate that very quickly. All of a sudden, you're a man and woman of your word. And when you make a mistake, you take ownership and you say, I will fix it. I'll get before God. I'll humble myself and change. Amen? Now he goes on in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this statement can be a little confusing, can make us be a little queasy, like, 
Am I about to lose my salvation? I thought that before. I was like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? You know? Well, let me unpack it for us a little bit. Um, the statement does not mean that God will withdraw his justification from those who have already received the freedom that he extends all believers, meaning he's not removing your salvation or the fact that you've already been cleansed and set free. That forgiveness, in that sense, is a permanent and complete acquittal from the guilt and ultimate penalty of sin by the way of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is talking about when we talk about forgiving, but maybe not forgiving, all those things, believers are to confess their sins in order to obtain a day-to-day cleansing, which washes a person from the worldly stuff, right? So it's different. It's kind of like washing your hands versus taking a bath and washing your whole body. It's, hey, man, the things I touched today, the things I, I shook hands with that person is very, like, hateful and crazy. And, and then this thing happened, and I, got, and I got the stuff in my hands, you know. It's like, I need to wash my hands today. Lord, I need to wash my hands. Because there's stuff I touched, stuff that got on me. And some of it I did, and some of it they, they grabbed me. And but I want to be fresh. I want to be Lord. And so something happened, Lord, so with a brother or sister in Christ. I want to be clean from that. But it's not, now I need to be resaved on Monday. Like every Monday. Every Monday is Salvation Monday. That's not how it works. It's complete. It's finished work. But then there is a maintenance aspect. Do you understand me? You've been redeemed. You're like a new person, but now, now there's maintenance. Maintenance is like, hey man, I gotta still confess. I still gotta repent. I'm still gonna choose things. And there's, and unfortunately, I wish I didn't. I wish I just was perfect from that day at seven years old till I just, I'm not. But he gives us a way out to say, hey, come clean to me. And then grow and mature. And remember, the, the goal is not, <clears throat> is not confess or uh, like wash your hands completely and just stay the same. It should be this. Like you're going up. More mature. A little more. A little more. Yeah, just a little more. A little, you're a little more committed. Look, the road gets a little more narrow. A little more narrow. A little more narrow. Does it make sense? To the end of your days. All right, we only got a few minutes here. So we're going to talk about Fasting. Fasting, fasting. I'll say it for the last, because I know you guys are getting hungry right now. So, <laughs> Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. I always love that. I was like, what does that mean? I mean, I've tried to like, how do you disfigure? It's like just making goofy faces. You know, I'm like, you should try it sometime. Like, try in the mirror. How to disfigure? Um, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see the connection behind the motivation between prayer and fasting? Same thing. It's when you pray and when you fast. When, right? Not if, when. When you pray and when you fast, you're doing it for an audience of one. Even if you pray in a corporate setting, right? So like, we may have like a prayer meeting with 40 people. We may pray in the morning. It's not that I need to be like, guys, I'm gonna pray. Amen. Just, it's like, that was weird, you know? Yes, it is weird, <clears throat> okay? But it's that I'm not praying to get you guys to clap for me. Tyler, good prayer. Like that amen punctuation part. That was really good. <clears throat> I actually don't care. 
I generally don't care what you think when I pray. I'm not praying to you. I'm praying to him. But what I want is for you to be stirred in your own heart to pray to him too. I am motivating you to pray to him also, not to sit back and listen. Kayla's not leading worship, so you guys think he's some cool worship guy. <clears throat> Man, that Kayla is pretty good. That's a good worship set. No, it's not a worship set. We participate. He's leading us, so we go here. Oh, and you know what? We need people to link arms with. Bro, let's pray. Man, you're right. Let's do it. It's encouraging. That's a good thing. Like, we are motivated by getting around others. This is why discipleship is not just you. How you doing? I don't know. It's been a tough week. Well, what do you think? It's been hard. What do you need to confess? I don't know. I'm not sure yet. What do you need to confess? I mean, just, it's weird. It's not talking to you. It's, it's, it's community. Worship and community. Prayer and community. It's a good thing. But the motivation is not to be seen or to one-up or to prove yourself or to seek out all your acceptance and affirmation from men and women. That is secondary. I like being told by my wife, good job preaching. But I don't preach for her to say good job. I preach to hear him say good job. And sometimes I do, and he says, that wasn't that good. <laughs> I'm gonna say, Lord, I repent for that. I wanna get better. How do I change? Do not, it's not always like, good job, buddy. You gotta be able to receive both. It is both and. It's way to go, and that was terrible. But I still love you. I've told my children that. That was great. That was terrible. I love you. We need to fix that. Let's keep doing that. Let's not do that anymore. Well, that's shocking. That's terrible parenting. No, it's actually great parenting. Because it's biblical. I want my kids to love me and to fear me at the same time. Just like you should love and fear God. If you only got love in your heart for God, you've missed it. You do not know the true God. Look up fear in the Bible. There's a lot of it. That's a reverence. That's a submission. That's coming before the Lord. So let's wrap it up here with fasting. It says, when you fast, fasting is normal, right? I could go through a list of examples. Moses fasted on the Mount Sinai before the Ten Commandments. Daniel fasted 21 days to get an interpretation from the vision. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. You got lots of fasting going on, okay? There's over 70 times fasting is mentioned in the Bible. You can look it up, old and new. Majority of times in the Old Testament, fasting was about more of a grieving, repenting type of fasting, corporate fasting, call the fast. Guys, we have royally screwed up. We need God's mercy, because if not, we're about to get driven out by the Assyrians again, or taken off captivity again. So we better repent and get our act together. Usually a big time prophet, do something crazy. We're wearing like, you know, some sort of Speedo outfit or something back then and hitting bells and saying, repent. I was like, who's the crazy guy saying repent? It's like, I don't know, but we need to listen to him, right? And so that's what it was in the Old Testament. It's kind of crazy, the fasting, okay? New Testament, let me just give us a, a definition here and how we can apply it now. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. It's giving up something that's good for something greater. Food is not bad. I love food. Water is needed or else you will die. Like, it is good things, okay? But you give it up for a window of time so you get something greater, which is mainly more of him. I'm just gonna share this, this one story. When I was in college, um, 
I, I, uh, I didn't really know about fasting growing up, honestly. I probably read it a few times, but never did it. So in college, I fasted once. Um, like the, 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 the very first time, I was like, okay, I'm gonna fast. And I was reading scripture, like, okay, it says, do not let anybody know you're fasting or else you're gonna ruin it. So I, this is just me. I'm like, I didn't know anybody, I, I had no friends who fasted. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. So what day I'm gonna do it? And I said, like, okay, those classes, that works out. And so I like woke up. I didn't have my facial hair at the time, but I shaved, you know? I didn't have any oil and I was not about to put oil in my head. So I was like, I don't know what the anointing thing is yet right now, but I'm just gonna shave, wash my face, whole dealy. Dress, dress nice. And, and uh, I made sure to avoid people at all mealtimes. So I like left before breakfast, my roommates woke up. I like just, just I was nowhere near any, any food, you know, because I did not want to be tempted towards the food. So be smart. And um, I like, but it was awesome. And I went the whole day and it was fun. I was like, it was like the secret game. It's like, nobody knows I'm fasting. Nobody knows I'm fasting. It's like, this is awesome. And I was like, how you doing? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great today. Man, Todd, you got a real kick in your step today. Yeah, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling fresh. You know, I did not want anyone to know. It was, there was none of this. Oh, it's hot out here. You want to know why I'm so tired? It's been a while since I've eaten. Yeah. Okay. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be that guy. Man, it's pretty tough out here. Don't be that guy. Be the girl or guy that's like, man, what a joy. Is it hard? Yes. Have I fasted more than a day before? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. Doing an all water fast is difficult. So for this corporate fast, a few practicals for the band comes up. Here's a couple things it wants to know. I fasted, but I can tell you that one day in college, the first time I ever fasted, it was glorious. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I got my Bible out, went by myself somewhere and just read. I just did I prayed. It was I'm giving up food, which I would be eating right now, to pray and read the word right now. And it was so sweet. I did it the whole day and it was so fun and one day is not that hard and, and it was like, man, this is rich. I've missed something like this. And you know, guys, the last couple years have been crazy in our world and for you and for me. And so we wanna take these three days coming up in a week. It'll be next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're gonna culminate here on a Wednesday night. We're gonna have a, a rally here Wednesday night. We'd love for you to come to break the fast together. We'll figure out the times, we'll let you know that. But we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna fast. We're gonna work. I mean, we're gonna worship take communion, break the fast together, and then encourage you to go out to eat with your life groups and go, don't gorge, okay, don't do that. Go to Jason's Deli or something, get a salad. But um, we're gonna break the fast next Wednesday, but we want you to do it because, and wanna encourage you, even if you never fasted before, okay, I started out one day. You just take this week, say, God, what do you want me to do? And invite a couple of friends in, man, what are we gonna do? And this is, this is one of those times it's okay to let others know you're fasting. Because it's not about, it's actually not about no one knowing. It's about your motivations. It's not you can't pray with others. It's, am I praying to be heard or be seen or accepted? Am I praying because I just wanna be heard by God? Does it make sense? So talk to people, say, hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna fast. It, some of you, it may be just a water fast for three days. Your body can handle it, most people. Some of it may be a water and juice fast. Some may be, um, you know, I'm gonna fast for breakfast and lunch every day. And then I'm gonna have a little something at night. You know, everyone's got different health things going on, but I wanna encourage you, if you've never fasted before, give it a go. But at least tell one person what you're doing so there's some accountability. Not so they're impressed, but just so, hey man, how's it going? Like, I'm struggling, you know, but don't tell anybody, you know. But just have that accountability because it's hard to do by yourself. You know what I'm saying? 
So encourage one another, but it's gonna be amazing. And just take the time you'd be eating and just get with him. It may just be 15 minutes. Lord, I'm gonna pull away at work. I'm gonna pull away at, 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 on campus and just get with God and pray and worship him. So Lord, what do you wanna do? Journal, God, what are you speaking to me these days? I'm building up expectation on my own heart to have some clear things. I need God to speak to me and to show me those three days. I want you to do the same, amen? Let's stand up. We're gonna just worship together here as we end today, just worshiping a song that many of us know, but it's really to put in hunger in our hearts. So just, we're gonna worship here as we end, and really what we're praying is, Lord, make us hungry for you. So Jesus, we just do ask that you would get into our hearts and minds, put it in us that we would be a hungry people, a people that are desiring more of you, <laughs> that we are able to draw near to you as you draw near to us, God, that we empty ourselves of good things for something greater. That's our prayer, Lord. So Lord, just start working in us now as a people to be a people of prayer, to be a people who fast, to fill ourselves with better things. In Jesus' name.